Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here with episode 72. If you find yourself with a lot of emails, a lot of meetings in your day-to-day work day, then my guest here, Lisa Bedell, has got some answers for you. She is talking about finding simplicity and making it happen. So you're going to learn, one, tools to eliminate unnecessary complexity in the workplace. Two, a methodology to reclaim 50% of your time spent in meetings. And three, the optimal attitude that gets your bosses to notice and value you. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to things mentioned, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep72. Or if you just like those takeaways all the faster in an email you could read in under two minutes, then sign up for the gold nugget email list over there at Awesome at your job. So here is a quick bit about Lisa. Lisa Bedell serves as a global council member of the World Economic Forum and has helped thousands of senior leaders ignite innovation at Bloomberg, Pfizer, Lockheed Martin, and many others. She's been rated as a top speaker at Google's client events and is the author of the best-selling book, Kill the Company, End the Status Quo, Start an Innovation Revolution, which won the 2014 Axiom Best Business Book Award and was voted Best Business Book by USA Book News and Booz & Co. Her new book, Why Simple Wins, is released this month. Lisa serves as an advisor on the boards of the Association of Professional Futurists and Novartis's Diversity and Inclusion Board in Basel, Switzerland. Among her many academic activities, Lisa has taught innovation and creativity at both American and Fordham universities. Here's Lisa. Lisa, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks for having me. I have to admit, I was very intrigued and engaged on your website over there at futurethink.com with the two truths and a lie. <laughs> and so I have a guess. Let's see what goes. So the three options are one, you're a professional tennis instructor. Two, you were in an emergency crash landing in an airplane. And three, that you've completed seven marathons. Can you put me out of my suspense? Which one is in fact the lie? Well, you tell me first, which one did you think was a lie? I thought if it were me and I were being tricky, I would be like, I haven't completed seven marathons. I've only completed five marathons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, you caught me. I have not completed seven. I've completed two. Two. That's okay. A lie. That's a lie. <laughs> so we lie similarly, you and I. <laughs> we do. We do. But it's actually, it's so intriguing because it's a great way to get people engaged with your business because, you know, people buy people, right? And that's... That's just a classic learning, no matter what industry you're in. And they want to connect on a human level. And when we put the two truths and the lie up, you know, each of the people on our website, if you go there, go to futurethink.com and you can see some really clever ones in the bio section. But when they call us and they don't know us, the first thing they'll ask our people is, okay, which one is the lie? And it's really oh, wow. fun. Because, <laughs> you know, then we spend all this time on the line. We get to know each other as people before we get to know each other as business. So I have not done seven marathons. I used to teach adults and kids relay tennis to get on the circuit. And I was in a crash landing on an airplane. So those wow. are those are my truths. Well, th- th- I mean, it's very effective. I guess I, <laughs> I played right into your marketing uh, plans. Like... You sure did. See how, that effect- <laughs> See how effective that is. But it's really fun. Cool. Well, well, so now I'd love to chat about some of the, the takeaways emerging from your, your forthcoming book, Why Simple Wins. Mm. And, and so it's a very compelling subtitle there. 
about escaping the complexity trap and getting to the work that really matters. Wow, I think we'd all like to do a little bit more of that. Well, I think everyone would. And that's what led me to write the book, which was when I started my business, I started it 20 years ago. And as many people I'm sure listening, you know, is was young, very aspirational, you know, I can do attitude. And, you know, as time goes on, you start to get worn down by a lot of the things that happen within business and, and climbing up the ladder, et cetera. And things get, things in life gets more complex. And I found in my business when, um, you know, I have this, this innovation training business, we teach leaders about change and innovation. And we kept going out to engagements by trainers all over the world uh, to teach change. And they were so frustrated when they got to these companies because the people that were bringing them in to teach change and, and to really start innovating were pushing back on them and they couldn't figure out why. Hmm. And so I started asking people, what the heck is going on? And I asked them a really simple question. I asked all these people in you know, lots of different companies around the world, what do you spend your day doing? Uh -huh. And I have to say, what surprised me was not just the uniqueness or range of their answers, uh -huh. but frankly, it was the complete consistency of how they answered the question. So I'd say, what do you spend your day doing? And guess what they say? Email, meetings. <laughs> meetings and emails. Okay. Those are the first <laughs> two. <laughs> exactly. And so the idea was people, they get up to do things that matter. They don't go to work to get excited about loads of emails that doesn't make them feel popular or wanted or loved. That, that's mundane crap. And people want to do things that matter. So in order to get them to the work that matters, we've got to really start addressing our addiction to complexity. And we unknowingly as humans, we create it. We resist change and we like the status quo. And we have to, we have to stop valuing the complexity and the more, the addition part of our lives and start getting comfortable with less subtraction, creating that space so we can really make meaningful work happen. Oh, yes. Well, that sounds good to me. So can you talk a little bit about where do you start with making that happen? You personally can start. I mean, we, we did a lot of research and we came up with all these tools. Actually, the cool thing that came out of doing research for the book was the tools of, that a person could do on their own. And it was things like writing a code of conduct so people can get comfortable with that you're not going to waste their time. And another thing is you can actually start addressing having better meetings and doing better emails. So example, allowing people to say no to meetings, making meetings shorter, not going mm -hmm. to a meeting or leaving it if it doesn't have an agenda, disallowing PowerPoint from a meeting with email not using the body of the email. You can only use the subject line mm -hmm. to keep things short. So there's lots of little tips and tricks that you as a person can start to exhibit those behaviors that then can trickle up to bigger things. It's meetings and emails are individual complexities, but those affect organizational ones, you know, like the processes and decision-making and all that kind of stuff. So it can start with you. And that's what I think is most powerful about the book is there are things you can start to do to make it contagious. And trust me, it's contagious. Once one person starts to simplify, people get jealous and they want in on it. So be the guy who starts the change. Oh, I like it. Well, I think that takes a little bit of audacity. Like just, I'm walking out of this meeting because there's no agenda here. What, what are some perspectives on oh, pulling one. that off? <laughs> that, well, then you, you got to be the boss to pull that one okay. off. Otherwise, you know, you're, that could be a career limiting move. So, but there are companies, we know this from organizations like Facebook and Merck. I'll give them as two specific examples that have focused solely on meetings. 
making better meetings because it consumes so much of us. It's interesting. We focus on big processes or IT problems. If you could just get meetings right in most organizations, you would transform that business. And so back at Merck and, and Facebook, they made it okay. They publicly stated that a behavior that they expected from people is to walk out of a meeting without an agenda. So what that does is it doesn't shame the person that says no. It shames the person, frankly, mm -hmm. that doesn't have their act together because you're not allowed to waste others' time anymore. And that's important. I think that's a really good precedent to set. Okay, so I think there's some, some, some great immediate tactics and takeaways. Thank you. I love that. So what are some additional practices or perspectives when it comes to getting meetings right? Well, getting meetings right, it, part of that is there's other factors as part of that. It can be the environment where the meetings are, right, mm -hmm. to actually get them to be more effective. It can be who's invited and who's not. Are you inclusive? Are you too inclusive? It can go beyond that. It's more about not just meetings and emails, but frankly, decision making. How many people have to be involved in the decision? Are you right. doing that because you're trying to cover your ass <laughs> or, or fear? There's a lot of things that drive complexity are things like risk, fear, power, and control. So meetings can be either you include too many people because you fear having to make a decision on your own, or it's excluding people because you want to be seen as the power player. And by excluding people, you're the one that's in charge. So complexity can take many different forms. You have to decide how exactly you want to eradicate it and what your end goal is. You know, is simplifying just about uh, saving money? Is it about changing the culture? Is it about making happier customers? There's lots of different factors and you have to, you need to spend time up front defining that. Oh, I hear you. So it's like there's, there's some deeper work associated with who really needs to be involved in a given decision, which yes. then informs who needs to be at these respective meetings. Mm -hmm. There's tactics and like the tactics of meetings and emails and reports and things like that. Those are things that people on an individual level can do, but there are some things that at some point that if you're the, a boss or the head of a group, you are responsible for making those decisions. People are looking to you to know what behaviors you expect. You need to empower people that it's okay to simplify. And in some instances, you need to mandate it. And I think that's really important for the people here. If you actually have a couple people that report to you, people are scared mm -hmm. and they don't want to lose their job. So if you're a boss, one of the best, best things you can do is give them permission to not be more effective, but to do more meaningful things. And they will thank you for it. They'll think you're a great boss because that, that takes a lot of guts to say it's okay to get rid of something. Okay. Well, so can you, can you share with us, what are some additional things that should be gotten rid of? I guess in some ways it's like a subset of certain types of meetings or certain types of emails. Could you shine a nice spotlight on these things should probably go? Sure. So one of the things we ask people to do is do a meeting audit. Write down all the meetings that you do on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, ad hoc basis. And set an audacious goal, 50%, that you want to get rid of 50% of those meetings. And what that really does by having an audacious goal is you're probably not going to get rid of 50% of them, but you're going to start to really look at what things would not be missed if we didn't do them anymore. Mm -hmm. And that then trickles over into things like how we communicate right? Do we have to always CC everybody on this list? It trickles over into things like reports, especially when it comes to things like status meetings or reports that you have to deliver to your boss or to others, right? Are there ways that we could get other people to help us pull this data? Are there reports that are redundant? Are there parts of this report that if we never did again, no one would ever miss? Mm. 
if we had to cut this in half or only deliver it in half the time, what would we get rid of? So what you're doing is you're forcing people to make tough decisions and really figure out what's valuable. Because what simplicity comes down to is time versus value. And you have to figure out where you spend your best time and the things that are most valuable. And often that, that means taking a hard look at what really matters and getting rid of stuff that you, you really realize isn't that important. Okay. So those are, that's a great list of questions to, to really put things into focus in a hurry. Could we maybe talk about the, the flip side of this, the stuff that does really matter, the high value stuff? We put a light toward that which should be eliminated. Could we now put a light toward that which is underdone, that really should be done more because it is so valuable and it has such ripple effects? Sure. I mean, ideally what happens is then you have more time for stuff externally. We spend a lot of time trading off within companies, mm -hmm. the telescope for the microscope. So we're so focused on the microscope and the inside, the navel gazing, as they call it, with our reports and our emails and our meetings that we forget that the end game is, for most people, to do more, sell more, solve problems, the external factor, mm -hmm. right? And so the idea is when you're more efficient or you work on stuff that matters, you have more time for customers, for patients, for experimenting to find that life-saving drug, to really become the inventor that has time to tinker and not worry about failure or waste, those kinds of things. And I'll tell you a thought experiment. It's interesting. Most people have a very easy time doing this. Create a T-chart on a piece of paper. Okay. And on the left-hand side, write down all the things you wish you'd never had to do at your job or wouldn't be missed or you think are a complete waste of your time. And people are pretty good. They can get a handful of things. And then on the right-hand side of the paper, it's what do you wish you could do with your time that would be saved from not doing those other things anymore? What would you do with that time? And I was just doing this today at Bank of America. And you know what people said? They, it was great. They came up with really aspirational things. It's not like they just wanted to screw around, right? They wanted mm -hmm. more time to go home, to, you know, to have a longer lunch. Mm -hmm. They wanted to experiment more. They wanted to work on strategy. They wanted to do deeper work. They wanted to spend more time outside with customers. They wanted to be able to actually meet with patients. They wanted to watch people use their products. I mean, really cool stuff. That, <laughs> isn't that what they should be doing? Right. But they, they don't have time to get to it. So it's a really neat thing for you personally to actually force yourself to say, what are the things that I just hate? Frankly, it's emotional. What do I hate doing? And then what do I wish I was doing? Because that wish then starts the intent process. And that really makes you start to focus on what's valuable. Oh, that's good. That's good. It's so funny. I, I want to do this right now, but the show must go on. <laughs> I'm, I'm tucking that away because it's, mm -hmm. it, it it's really inspiring. Right. It's really mm -hmm. inspiring. And now could you talk a bit about what you call the sport of being busy? The sport of being busy, so it's the anecdote I like to say is, you know, 20 years ago when somebody asked you, or even, you know, 10 years ago, depending on the age of the person that's, that's listening to the podcast, how are you doing? And people would say, I'm good. And then mm -hmm. more technology takes over. We start to get into to more complex work. Someone says, how are you doing? And they say, oh, fine. And now today, if someone asks you how you're doing, what's the standard response? Busy. I'm busy. Are you busy? Well, you're not as busy as I am. I'm busy. It's really a sport of being busy. Who's busy? I'm busy. Or how can they not have time? They don't do half the stuff I am. I'm busy and I can do it. You know, we have this like busy off kind of thing. Uh -huh. So, you know, it's the sport of being busy. And the reason why 
we do that is because we feel like doing is more important than thinking. More is more valuable than less. And so we become addicted, right? There's kind of this addicted to doing over thinking and, and doing more. And, and no one gets rewarded for doing less that I know of at companies at least. You know, mm-hmm. you get rewarded for more people, more markets, more products, more revenue, more, more, more. And therefore, we don't even think about simplifying or less. We just add it on to. And that's that's how the sport of busy starts to happen because no one wants to be seen as not having anything to do, right? Mm. God forbid. We need to be doing something even if that something isn't valuable. And I, I think that that's the sport of being busy has actually created a lot of busy work and a lot less value in the market than we realize. It's true. And it's funny. I think even as like an intern or in your earliest experiences of work, when you don't have enough to do yet, you want to look busy. Oh yeah. You want to look busy. And you know, what's really funny is that's cool. That's like good energy. You want to look busy, like you're doing something productive, but you don't know what that is. And what would be really cool, I will tell you for people here on the podcast, if you are new to a company, an intern, you are young in your career, you are only managing a few people. If you can be that guy or that woman who is the one who's always looking to solve a problem, who's looking to simplify, who's looking to make things better, you will be the rock star in your company. I guarantee it. Some people at first will feel very lonely because their bosses will be busy and not wanting to take on having to do the change that you're suggesting. But I'm telling you, if you're that person that starts to all of a sudden just find solutions to stuff, to simplify, to streamline, to you will become the person that gets promoted first. I mm. guarantee it. So if I were you and you're young and starting in your career, be the person that wants to find, you know, to get to the work that matters because bosses will recognize you. Oh, there's so much good stuff here. I'd like to go on and on, but we've got we got limited time. Can you tell us, is, is there anything else you really want to make sure we hit home about eliminating redundancy, making simplification a habit uh, before we kind of shift gears into the fast faves? Sure. One thing I would just like to say is that there's a couple misnomers or things that are misleading about simplicity. You know, you can oversimplify. Mm. And that's interesting. You can kind of, you can do too much. Like you can take that hundred page contract and get it down to one page. And sometimes they don't realize that you want to simplify something as much as possible, right? You don't want to simplify something so much that then you spend all your time explaining (laughs) what you took out. Oh, right. And the other thing is don't confuse being organized with being simple. Mm. You know, the most organized 150 step process is not simple. Right. And within organizations, and especially for people here listening, your bosses probably frustrate you because they want you to organize something. But I think what you need to think about is they want you to, to really simplify something. Mm. So they might say organized, but they mean simplified. And those are not necessarily the same thing, right? Organized is just, it looks good on a desk and it's all consistent. Simplified is it works really well. All right. Well, well now could you maybe start us off by sharing, do you have a, a favorite quote, something that inspires you again and again? Yeah, there's a few that actually come to mind. You know, when I was putting together my book, there were the quotes that we kept coming across, like, life is really simple, but we insist on making it complicated. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really true. Actually, we are the ones that create the monster that we become a slave to. There's a great quote, actually, my favorite was one from a, a writer named Dave Barry. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, if you had to identify in one word, the reason why the human race has not achieved and will never achieve its potential that word would be meetings. 
And so I really, you know, what's really interesting is we as humans get in our own way. And, but the power of that is we as humans can also fix it. We just have to get comfortable with the process of getting rid of. And I think that's pretty cool. Okay. And how about a favorite study or piece of research? Yeah, actually, there was a really cool piece of research that just came out. It was in Harvard Business Review here in the, the spring. And it was put together with a bunch of different consulting firms. But Bain does a lot of this, especially. Yeah, yeah. And the research was talking about, basically, the article was saying, does technology help us or hurt us? And the answer, of course, is yes. Mm-hmm. And what I liked about that was how much the article talked about, we need to kind of get to this place where just because we can doesn't mean we should. Oh, Yeah. And there's a lot of that, right? With technology, we you know if, let's solve it with a tech with something or personally how we like to think well, if we can get more apps or be on more social media. And at some point it just, it becomes noise, right? It doesn't become valuable. And I would read actually that piece of research that the Bain has put out on complexity versus simplicity, as well as the piece on technology doesn't help us or hurt us because it will make, it will confirm the things that you experience every day that frustrate you and talk a little bit about why it's okay not to do everything. Oh, that's powerful. I kind of hear Jeff Goldblum in my ear right now from Jurassic Park. We thought about whether or not we could and not whether or not we should. That's exactly right. And I think you just nailed it. And how about a, a favorite book? Well, I am a little biased towards my one. Oh, sure. (laughs) No, I'm actually a good friend of mine, Adam Grant Originals. I just think that's a really fantastic book that just came out recently, and I would highly recommend it about how, you know, people that are different and think originally and actually they try again and again and again, they don't give up. You know, it's that stick-to-itiveness are the ones that really make a difference in the world. And I believe what he says. And how about a favorite tool, or whether that's a piece of hardware, software, or gadget that makes you more effective, or maybe you want to get aware of all the tools? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, my favorite tool is there's something on an email. My favorite one is delete. And the other one, I don't think the other function we don't use to, as much as we need to is save as draft. Hmm. And the reason that's very powerful is we tend to it's like that joke when someone says, I really apologize for writing a hundred page book. I didn't have time to write a 10 page one mm-hmm. because it's so much easier to write in long form. If we would just have a moment to save our stuff and then realize that we can edit it back, it would save us and a lot of people time. All right. And how about a favorite habit or personal practice of yours that's boosted your effectiveness? Yeah. I mean, I have to say at the end of every year, I'll tell you what I do with my team as I have them go through, I say, personally, we go through all our files and folders I go through all my personal contacts, all my emails, all these, the the clutter that I get through over the, you know, I get a lot of contacts and requests to connect and do all this other stuff from people that I barely meet. And I hone it back down to the people that really, that matter and where I want to focus or the newsletters or the books, just the things that I want to really focus on. And I eliminate all the rest. And Mm -hmm. I have to tell you that getting in that habit or that practice, whether it's once a year or every quarter of eliminating and focusing kind of like that unsubscribe I think is really powerful. I do it on my phone. I get rid of the apps that I haven't used in forever because I want to declutter my life so I can focus on the things that really add value. Oh, lovely. And could you share a sort of a favorite nugget or or piece of content that you've shared that folks really seem to resonate with in terms of they're nodding their heads, they're taking notes, they're retweeting, they're highlighting in the Kindle version of the book? Yeah, I mean, actually, it's interesting. One of the stories that I talk about is we kind of follow things and we don't realize it. If you have time for a quick anecdote, I'll tell you. Oh, let's do it. I learned from a, a German engineer that was really powerful. He said, you know why we don't get to get to work that matters is because our culture here is just to kind of do things, just do things, right? We just, we, we do what we're told. And he told the story about a scientist who had 10 monkeys in a cage 
And he decided to perform an experiment where he would put a banana on top of the cage and see what the monkeys did. And of course, the minute the banana went on top of the cage, all the monkeys started to fight to get the banana. And as soon as one of them got the banana, that monkey was eating the banana and the scientist would pour water, big pitcher of water on all the other monkeys. Hmm. And that of course made him mad. So he did it every day to see is the same monkey, different monkeys that would get the banana, but whatever monkey got the banana, that monkey would be really happy and all the other monkeys would get water poured on them until the end of the week, the monkeys knew any monkey that went for that banana, they would desperately pull them down, right? Because they, mm. they didn't want the rest of them to get wet. So the scientists said, wow, these monkeys are smart. They know what I'm going to do to them. I'm going to change up this experiment. I'm going to put a new monkey in the cage every week and take an old monkey out. So the first week after he decides this, he takes an old monkey out, he puts a new monkey in. And sure enough, the first thing the new monkey does is go for the banana. All the monkeys pull him down. And at the end of the week, that new monkey knows, do not go for the banana. So at the end of 10 weeks, the scientist now has 10 new monkeys in the cage. None of them go for the banana, but not a single monkey knows why. Oh, wow. So what's really cool about that, right? You get it. This is how we as humans can behave at work, right? Well, that rule's been there forever. I don't know why, but that's how we do it. We don't mm -hmm. question things because we look at others' behaviors and we just kind of follow along with the status quo. So one of the problems with complexity is that it creates complacency. It makes people just follow the status quo, not question it, not fight it anymore. And unless we get simplicity is our new operating system, you will be that monkey. And that's not how a good career happens. Oh, thank you. That is a, a powerful image. And as we get to our, our, our final tidbits here, could you share what would be the best way to find you if folks want to learn more or see what you're up to? Sure. So you can find me on futurethink.com. That's my company, FutureThink. And you can learn more about what we do in terms of our training and our change and our simplicity toolkits that we have, which is really fun and a really powerful thing for any manager or person in their career to have. Or you can follow me on Twitter at lisadodale.com, or you can write me. You can write me at innovate at futurethink.com and someone on my staff will make sure that I get it. Oh, thank you. And do you have a, a favorite challenge or parting words call to action for those seeking to become more awesome at their jobs? Sure. If you want to really start to make your work more effective, I would invite you to think about this. If there were any two rules at work, right? Any two things you do during the day that you would love if you could kill or change, right? Just not do them anymore. What would those rules be and why do you want to get rid of them? Mm. And what's really cool about that is if you or your team, if you manage a team, all share the rules or things that you want to kill, you'll find that there are things where you all look at each other and go, you're right. I don't know why we do that. Let's stop. And it's a really great exercise that you can actually do five minutes at the end of a status meeting or alone and really audit the work that you do and figure out what can I just stop doing right now? Mm. And it makes a difference. Powerful. Well, Lisa, thanks so much for sharing your, your time and wisdom and experience with us here. I wish you tons of luck at, at Future Think and, and all the stuff you're doing to simplify. And I hope the book is a smashing success and it's been a lot of fun. Oh, ditto. Thank you very much for the time. I appreciate it. Ooh, I hope that inspires you to cut out some of that unnecessary complexity and to be kind of bold about reducing some of those meetings and push for that 50%. That may be audacious. It may be bold or maybe it's even 60 or 70%. You won't know until you really dig in and try it. And man, that monkey story, that experiment has got me just thinking about how many things we do 
And just because, I don't know, that's kind of what we do. And maybe really do need to get scrutinized. So, mm, so good. So once again, if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to things mentioned, that's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep72. And I hope you do push the subscribe button if you haven't already, so you don't miss the wisdom of any of our guests, such as Dr. John Carter. He is a Harvard professor and among the world's foremost authorities on leadership and change management stuff. So if you're looking to make some change happen, like introducing some extra simplicity, then you won't want to miss this one. Until next time, peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 